Welcome again to About Being Alive. I'm Jordan. I'm Jason. And uh, thank you for joining us today. And before we get going, we're going to start off here with a grounding meditation. Um, one of my personal favorite practices to do in the morning, or uh, in this case, midday, as a way to recenter and refocus yourself um, to, to finish the day out well. So what I'll have you do right now is uh, find a seated position where your legs are about 90 degrees. And feel free if you're in a position to do so where you can uh, remove your shoes. And um, go ahead and find that comfortable seated position with your back straight. Go ahead and close your eyes. What we're going to do here is we're going to start off by taking three seven-second breaths. So what that will entail is inhaling for seven seconds holding briefly at the top and then exhaling for seven. So we're gonna do that now, breathing in. down to your feet, becoming aware of the connection between the ground, the earth, and your feet. As you continue to breathe, imagine breathing in through your feet, breathing in up through your legs, to your diaphragm and chest, and exhaling back down and out through your feet into the ground. And as you continue to breathe, take a moment to notice how your body feels. Allow your shoulders to drop. Allow any tension in your arms, your chest, legs to dissolve as you continue to breathe through your feet. Continue to notice the connection between your feet and the ground. Now imagine roots like a tree stretching out and down from your feet into the floor. Feeling them spread down and outward solidifying the connection between you and the earth. Notice now your hands, noticing any sensations you may feel in your palms, and enjoying 
subtle state of relaxation and presence. Ready? Go ahead and open your eyes, turn to the room, and offer gratitude to yourself for choosing to nourish your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you, Jordan. That was great. Thanks, dude. For charging. Yeah, you know, I think we're, in a lot of ways, we're batteries. And um, or we have the potential to be. And the earth is a way for us to plug in and recharge. I mean, you know, can you think of a time where you went into nature and you came back feeling energized? All the time. Yeah. All the time. I've, I've committed to hikes. And then the time comes and I do not want to go at all. And then I kind of, sometimes I'm able to force myself, just go, just get out of the house. When I do, it's always this phenomenal experience of like a giant actual breath, my mm. whole body. I had a similar moment last week of sitting at the house. And, you know, being on a, in a college town in the summer is a strange experience uh, where it's just so quiet. There's nothing to really do. A lot of the previous obligations and routines are gone. Um, so I was feeling a little lost. I went to the mountains and uh, there's a stream up at Mount Baldy. So I, I ended up dunking in there, feeling that cold, refreshing water. And um, yeah, the, 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 feel, the energizing feeling and I think also physically removing yourself from um, being sort of inundated with all the noise right? Both your, your own internal voices and then, um, you know, the, the Wi-Fi, the, all the electricity that we're constantly being exposed to. Uh, there's something that goes on. I don't know the science behind it, but there's something that goes on biologically where your body can release and release in a way that it typically can't. Well, there's something about being around other living beings. I think it's pretty powerful. It's like around trees, just being around trees, something about it, our body picks it up. Yeah. Yeah, there's a concept biophilia. Um, biophilia. Biophilia, yeah. Um, and it's a study of basically humans' interaction with nature. Um, and I'm gonna, I, I'm butchering this this definition of it, but I know that um, that there's a program at Stanford that really that focuses almost exclusively on the study of biophilia. And um, I did a, a research project on it, looking at the medical benefits of it. What they found in a lot of hospitals is it just simply by changing um, patients' rooms so that they have a view of the outdoor world, it actually accelerated their healing process. Hmm. And by creating gardens and naturally uh, natural elements within this physical space, has all has a number of benefits both health wise and then well being. Wow! Yeah. So I pulled it up. Yeah. So Eric Frome first used it. He's like a famous psychologist and he described it as a psychological orientation. Mm. Mm, love that jargon. Gotta love that jargon. Psychological orientation of being attracted to all that is alive and vital. And there's like citing studies about across all animals, um, adult mammals or across all mammals, adult mammals are generally attracted to baby mammal faces and find them appealing. The large eyes, small features of a young mammal. Yeah, yeah. There's something about it where we're, you know, we're we're set. We're not separate from the natural world, and being reminded of that, of our place in that, and and the natural systems that are, it's really relieving. It's kind of crazy that like a tree is always growing, okay, in, in a building. I guess it's decaying in some aspect, mm. but like I bet that there's something that our nervous system picks up on noticing a tree grow even at a small minutia amount versus like walking around in a busy city and like seeing a house. I don't know if that is even possible to study. Yeah. To see the difference between looking at a house and looking at a tree. Um, 
But there's also this aspect of just having our senses take in diverse information. So like when, you're, when I'm sitting in my office all day, it's like my mind becomes habituated to everything that's in the room and becomes kind of boring versus when I go for a walk. It's like suddenly all my senses become alive. New thing, new information is everywhere. And it's like, whoa, it can be kind of daunting at first, mm-hmm. but it's very uh, refreshing to get this kind of splash in the face of water of like just sense information. That's a great analogy. Um, when you do go on those walks, are you setting a specific intention or how are you able to shift your perspective so that you're able to take in and engage those senses that maybe were dormant? I think it just happens. Office? Just happens. I think just by going outside, we, our, our body will do the rest. It's just the act of actually going and doing the thing that we're trying to, to do. That's the toughest part. Yeah. Like the hurdle. The first hurdle is like the biggest, tallest hurdle. And it's probably, uh, you know, I think one necessary component is that, which we were going to talk about today, when you're going on these walks, is probably uh, putting down the phone, right? Mm. Um, because when you're looking at the screen, you, you're really, you're not really changing your environment all that much, right? You're still, you still have that focus of, of technology as opposed to allowing, you know, smell or, or hearing, um, you know, touch to really engage. So something we're going to talk about today is this aspect of, of technology, of phone usage, social media, how that relates to the way we live our life. Um, and then maybe specifically we might touch on how positive psychology offers descriptions of it and also how it all applies to the workplace. Right. How do we marry technology, personal technology, and work? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> we'll explore some ideas. Yeah, we'll throw some ideas out there. But it, it's this interesting time where we're we're all figuring it out together, and we we have, there's been such drastic developments that we haven't had a time. You know, as scientists, social scientists, we haven't had enough time or data to really process and provide accurate implications of what this could mean. Um, so we're all part of this grand experiment together, and you know. As you mentioned today, looking at how these challenges of, of social media, of technology, the the necessary place they become, they've began to integrate into our lives, um, how that relates to you know the work environment, and what are those twenty first century challenges that we're facing, and how can positive psychology help? So we grew up with technology, like millennials, because we can say that right. Like my younger sister. She's a Gen Zer, mm-hmm. so they were thrusted into the world of technology, whereas we kind of grew up as technology was growing up. Um, and those are two different; they're actually very different kind of people. Like we're both fluent in technology than our parents are, but the generation below they are like hyper fluent mm-hmm. in a way. So let's go to the beginning. Let's start at the beginning. Yeah. What was your childhood technology experience and how did that relate to schoolwork? Mm. Let's see. So turning 30 this month. um, And so I got a flip phone when I was eighth grade. So 14. um, And that was cool, right? I could play snake and do and text. uh, I still like the ABC text. um, But still... It was new, right? Texting was, um, you know, I grew up with in, in that up until that point, it was instant messenger, like AM instant messenger, going chat rooms, like talk to people through that. And then when I was 16, it's kind of when MySpace started to hit the scene. And I remember my first MySpace, I had a, I had a shared account with my buddy at the time. Mm. And, um, and we had, uh, um, Earth, Wind and Fire September was our song. <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, um, and then I, I didn't really get into it. You know, I, so at that point when, and then Facebook came out, but Facebook was, it was almost frowned upon to have Facebook if you weren't in college. Yeah. So I didn't get Facebook until I, and I was, I was kind of hesitant to, to engage in that way. So I didn't get it till I graduated high school. Um, and I, because of that, I would, because of my placement, I think it, it varies drastically between my age of just of, of 30 and someone who's 26 because so much happened 
in that four-year span at such a crucial developmental time. Um, so that was sort of how I became. And then, you know, in college, Twitter, Twitter, Instagram started to blow up when I was a senior, probably. Um, so I was, and, and I was always hesitant to dive in um, because I didn't, I didn't trust it really. So you were hesitant to dive into social media, yeah. but you said, you said AOL and some messenger. Yeah. Did you use that on a personal computer? Yeah. And did you use it a lot? Yeah, <laughs> I did. Because I think that was the start of like immediate social interaction yeah. for a lot of So I'm 27. Yeah. So I hit some of those phases a little bit earlier. Like yeah. I had an AOL Instant Messenger in sixth grade. I had MySpace in eighth grade. I had Facebook all through high school. Um, somehow my high school enabled it. Like that, that, Right when I got into high school is when they became available for high schoolers. Mm. They had to invite you. A high school student had to invite another high school student. That's right. Yeah. Um, but I was always using a computer. Like I had my brother's old computer with me while I was working. I would be hitting up the jams on iTunes. Not the iTunes store, no. I would get music another way and then load it up to the browser. You know, then that became a fascinating game is how to find music. And then I'd always have AOL and Messenger on mm-hmm. while doing work, while playing a video game. And like this massive multitasking switch of trying to be f- – talk to friends, flirt with girls on AOL Instant Messenger oh, yeah. and do work at the same time. Don't know how I got anything done or if I did. And how do you think that, because um, that multitasking, um, I know in, in work I do personally and, and in observing and talking to a lot of, of, of peers who are in diff- a variety of positions, um, multitasking, it's a behavior that is frequently practiced and almost expected of you um, as an employee in, in certain industries, right? Um, especially consulting, um, you know, real estate, whatever it is. And I'm wondering if that developmental behavior, you know, in high school of practicing that, how that has influenced or, you know, influenced the workplace and how we operate in work now. I think we get bored easily. Yeah. And with boredom comes the need to be stimulated in a novel way and that's why task switching is so like nice in a weird way because i'm able to switch tasks and get a little novel jump because i'm looking at something new if i keep switching tasks and it kind of keeps me alert though it takes effort to get fully engaged and effort requires full attention and it doesn't it, it doesn't necessarily happen maybe it does for some people but for me it doesn't necessarily happen immediately not like I pull up a document and I'm fully there and ready to go. You know, it's all it's like get, getting into flow, right? There's this process where you, you, you're working, you're working, you're working, and then you're there. But there's that working part, right, where you're either you're preparing or you're having to do in order to get in that zone where you're fully present. Now, if there was someone behind me, you know, arms crossed, like nudging me to do my work, man, I'd get in a flow real quick. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I've always thought of that. What if I had someone like just like keep check on me? Every time I'd sway away from a task, they would just kind of poke me and be like, hey, get back, get back, get back. That's just not life how, is, how life is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I take a lot of breaks and I, I have an idealization of work that I think there's this holy land that I can attain eventually where I can just sit down and get into flow engagement immediately. doesn't work though. It's so hard. Do you get distracted when you work? Oh yeah. Do you look at your phone? Yeah, I do. Um, and it depends on, and you know, as we'll get into later, uh, the stats won't lie, right? So <laughs> it's pretty apparent that I do. And it, you know, when I do and in, in, in reflecting, especially after looking at these you know, astronomical numbers here. Um, what I do is when I hit a wall, right? When it's not, when I get to a point where I bump up against some sort of resistance um, that, ah, okay, I, I need to put effort in to whether it's to get creative, creative juices flowing or um, to, you know, send the next email. I sent an email. I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm going to take a break or whatever it is. It's this, it's this invisible wall of resistance that I bump into. And a lot of times my first instinct is to distract myself. Yeah. And sometimes I'm not aware of the resistance that I'm hitting. Yeah. And I'll go to the phone 
what am I doing? The War of Art is a good book that personifies resistance and this pretty um, uh, successful author talks about how he does art and creativity and his whole book is like about resistance and each page is only like maybe three to six sentences and he just talks about like resistance what is resistance and like defining it and how it affects everyone and like that is the one area in life that keeps people from actually doing what they want to do mm. he goes he goes as far as saying that resistance is like the reason why all wars are started and stuff cool. like this. He gets very deep with it. <laughs> but it's a cool idea, like, to personify that thing that keeps us and how we can, like, look at it as an enemy. Mm. I, You know, when I can – I think the, for me, the easiest way to do that is when I'm exercising. So when it's physical, um, then it becomes easier to create that personification and I think actually by – like if I were to exercise and, and sort of face that and break through those invisible walls or battle that invisible enemy, uh, it makes working easier. Totally. Um, and, and start and the day that more way. Aware, yeah, you become more aware of it. And it pop when that wall pops up, it, you know, you're taking a bat and you're just shattering it. You know, you, you, you kind of approach it with that mentality. Um, whereas maybe – and it depends on the individual, individual differences, right? But – uh, I think meditation could do the same thing. It, and maybe instead of smashing it with a bat, you know, you like tap, you do some matrix work, tap it with your finger and it, you know, dissolves or you walk through it. Right. And it never was really there. <laughs> yeah. This idea of resistance as, as something that we can practice. Resistance, not as something that was separate, but as a practice. So like every morning, that's why I love starting my mornings with a workout. And because at any moment you can stop, like running, any moment I can just stop running. And there's going to be all these little buttons being pressed by resistance. Just stop. Just stop running. You're tired. Yeah. Meditation, too, is like just open your eyes. Yeah. I heard a, a cool analogy recently that was written about in the Upanishads, which is a very ancient text in, yeah. the, in the East, that described the way of life as um, you're in a chariot and there's five horses and it's a matter of how can you control the horses? How can you tame these stallions? Now, these five horses are your five senses. And they have a mind of their own and they will go wild and they will scream about. So, for instance, if you go into an ice bath, mm. which I, I did recently this last weekend, you, you go, you know, ideally neck deep, but this one was chest deep. And you go into the ice for three minutes. So this is ice water. This is like a bunch of ice in a big tub of water, it's cold as it gets. And you sit there and your horses are going crazy. They're going wild. They're they're shouting about. I don't know. Horses don't bark. Not that I'm aware of, no. No, they, they make another sound. They, they neigh. Cows go moo. Horses go neigh. They go neigh. They go neigh, neigh, neigh. And I'm going yay <laughs> in the ice bath. And to practice that resistance of staring in the face of resistance practice staring the face of resistance and saying no let's do this we're sitting in this it's powerful yeah yeah what'd you do this morning for a workout i did not yeah i did not work out and i like that you know it, it makes things a little more difficult for sure for me how about you did you have a preparation today i had no prep i got up and well i meditated but i got up and went about my day First time you looked at your phone today? In bed. Probably within three minutes after opening my eyes. <laughs> three minutes. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's not – that is not out of the ordinary. No, it's not. And and, the, and it slows me down. You know what I mean? I think it, it slows the – in the days where I don't do that, um, I'm, I'm operating – at a faster pace, but I'm moving slower, if that makes sense. So do you like it? No. No, I, I don't like it. Um, <laughs> then why do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> That's not what you're, it's not, we're not getting the why. It's just right. what, yeah, I want to yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't like the, and here's what I don't like about it, is I don't like the feeling because it feels, uh, I feel sluggish mentally, if that makes sense. Um, it, it's similar to take, eating like a heavy, Heavily breaded sandwich. Mm, Buca de pepo pasta. Yeah. Yeah. It just sits there. Yeah. And, it, and instead of sitting in your belly, 
it it just it feels like it's clogging my uh, cognitive Your capacity. Brain. Yeah, my brain. I don't like eating buku de pepo first thing in the morning. No, I don't. I don't think anyone does. And and the way I mean. Literally, I don't like eating buku de babo, period. But I don't think that's the point you're trying to make here. But, but yeah, no, you don't want to wake up and you know start your day with a mouthful of meatballs and and heavily Alfredo sauce, yeah. pasta, <laughs> yeah, cream, right? Heavy, heavy cream. No, and that's a, I think that's a good analogy. I mean, it, what, what's your experience like with that? I I have a good routine where I turn my phone off. So I used to look at my phone really early in the morning. Um, the trick for me that really changed the game was I bought an analog clock on Amazon, $10. It's a little analog clock, and it has one function, alarm. And it's, it changed the game. So I turned my phone off. So I have to, like, physically turn my phone on when I want to use it for the first time in the morning. And that little block actually has helped me, I'd say on average, about 30 minutes to an hour into the day is when I first look at my phone. So that's that's a huge win for me. I know that's crazy to say. Oh, I waited an hour. It was like, but that really is a big win. I know that Ryan Holiday, who's a big Stoic writer, author, love him a lot. He has a challenge going right now of ten minutes. Do not look at your phone within ten minutes of waking up. I think it's a good, easy, low bar challenge. That's gonna be my challenge to offer others. Into yourself this yeah. week. I know that you have a challenge as well, too. Yeah, I have a challenge as well. So do I accept, not. I accept your challenge. Yeah. So the, the the rules of the game for this is not looking at the phone within ten minutes of waking up. That's it. Accept challenge accepted. Sign me up. Let's go into your challenge. We okay. Might need a- yeah, we'll get in. Let's get into my challenge. Um, and again, this is. I think this is relevant. This is relevant to everyone, and I think it's also relevant. Um, in a way so that we can begin to address this resistance, both in our personal lives and then also in our work lives to become more productive and ultimately experience more fulfillment at work, to be able to get into these desirable states of flow. Um, And one of the ways to do so is by eliminating distractions. Productivity as a means towards creative expression. Exactly. And fulfillment. Yes. And meaning building. Because it's so easy to get caught up in the productivity as the end. Right. Do, 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 busy, busy. I'm busy. Oh, how's you doing? I'm busy too. You know, like the look busy as successful mentality. Been there too frequently. So productivity as as a, as a road, as a tool. And I, a, there's a distinction between being busy and being productive. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between, um, you know, being productive and feeling um feeling inspired or being inspired and productive. Mm. And part of that is to be, is to get yourself and through challenging. I, th- I think it really boils down to whatever you're doing, can you do it the best you've ever done it? And being able to shift that perspective. And what that requires is full concentration for an extended period of time, right? You, you know, hopping on your phone every seven to 10 minutes, you're interrupting that process. You never have a chance to go deep enough to really get there. Yeah, I would say is the end result for productivity instead of busyness would be like intentional productivity because I can mm-hmm. be unintentionally busy. And that's what really busyness is. Yeah, It's like thinking about a problem, just thinking about it. Oh, I've been busy thinking about it. No one's ever thought about a problem and solved it. Um, if only think about it for one more day, if only obsess and ruminate <sighs> and worry for one more day, then I think I'll get it. That's ever happened before. No, it's about it being intentional with thoughts and actions. I think I agree. Um, speaking of being intentional, um, my challenge for myself this week is being intentional and in not using my phone as much. So before we hopped on here, uh, you know, I, I had this idea and I ran it by Jason of having a challenge of cutting up screen time for social networking, social media in half, specifically for social networking. Yeah. Um, and I had this idea prior to looking at my weekly, uh, screen usage. And after I looked at it, it was, uh, affirmed in a big way. So, uh, let's see what we got here. Today's been pretty good, but let's look at the last seven days. So, um, my last seven day average 
phone usage was four hours and 30 minutes per day. And that totaled 31 hours and 32 minutes for the week being on my phone. And nine of those 31 hours were spent on social networking. So that's about an hour and 20 minutes per day. And I think I posted maybe one some one thing this past week. So that's <laughs> that, so even drilling down further. You gotta check that one at least 50 times. Right, right. You gotta make okay. sure. You know, I wish it was that, it's, but yeah. it wasn't. It was scrolling. It was just scrolling, looking at stories, and this mindful engagement. A lot of times when we were ta- you know, talking about bumping up against that resistance or in this idle time um, where I could have been who know, th- thinking or writing or just being and engaging different senses. Yeah, I think that posting, I have a, I have a hypothesis that posting um, does not directly relate to frequency of use. I think there's a hidden third variable or a moderator. So if I post more, it doesn't necessarily mean I will always be actually active on Instagram more often because even when I'm not posting, my numbers are still high. So I had eight and a half hours on social networking. I had four hours and two minutes per day the last seven days. And I didn't really post that much because I also don't check the posting. Yeah. For stories, it doesn't really um, cause a gratification as much as looking at posts of other people, other inspirational figures, or just mindlessly scrolling, scrolling zombie out of habit. And and here and, and the thing is we're mindlessly scrolling. Um, we're still taking in a ton, a lot of information, right? And the longer you scroll, the more your mental state begins to shift and change in subtle ways, right? But I think if you if you've developed a certain self awareness and um, you know are, are aware of changing states over time, you begin to see whether you're intentional about it or not. There's this comparison aspect that comes yep. into play and um, and you may not even you know it may be happening unconsciously but one sign that it is is a dim, you know uh, a dip in your general mood or a lack of inspiration or motivation these are all you know signs or symptoms of that you're actively comparing in some way uh, your current state or your current life to what you're seeing it's kind of like a slot machine. Have you heard of that slot machine application to this? I haven't, I haven't heard that. So how they make people get more addicted to social media, specifically with Facebook and Instagram, is they just apply the rules of slot machine. So a slot machine, um, you pull it and you get intermittent rewards. They actually design it in a certain way mm-hmm. to intermittently get rewarded. Because when you get random awards, it's more addicting than... Um, expected rewards. So they have a study with pigeons, feeding pigeons food every time they hit a lever. Okay. Whenever they hit the lever, they'd get a piece of food. And after a few times, they'd know what to do and they would actually stop hitting the lever when they're not hungry. Hmm. Now they did another group. They would give the food randomly. So pigeons would hit the re- lever. Sometimes they get the food, sometimes they wouldn't. And what happens is Pigeons wouldn't stop hitting it even if they're hungry. So they would actually keep going and they would start to throw up food out of wow. being too full because they, they were addicted to getting the reward because out of randomness because they didn't know when they'd get their next meal. Whoa. So we're a bunch of pigeons. And there's no coincidence that when you refresh Instagram or, you know, on your mobile device, it literally looks like you're hitting that slot machine wow. to get that dopamine rush. Wow. So notifications delivered to the phone are random. If you haven't been on Instagram in a long time, you'll notice they'll start emailing you. Because when I did my digital declutter month, I started getting like random emails from Instagram. Hey, jasonbeck.life, you notice uh, you're missing some posts. Wow. They know. They know how to do this. And a guy who was an engineer at Google saw this was happening. He's like, this is really screwed up, everybody. And people are like, oh, maybe you should be the Google ethicist, the ethical manager. So he was, and he implemented some of these ideas. Nothing really got traction, and he left Google. And now he's, his whole mission is to 
create more of an ethical component to how we use technology and to go away from implementing like gambling techniques to make people addicted. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, man. I had no idea, but it makes so much sense. Um, and yeah, I'm definitely trying to get out of the casino, dude. I, I don't, you know, yes. that's not where I want to. Tristan Harris, ethics of social impact for technologists. Yeah. The closest thing Silicon Valley has to a conscious is what people call him. Wow. Yeah. Well, shout out to, to him, man, for, for spreading that wisdom and, you know, illuminating this. So talk a little about how we can cut our time by 50%. Yeah. Because that's no easy task. No easy task. So it's, Yeah, it's almost easier to go cold turkey. Yeah. Um, but this is, a, this is an even more difficult challenge is like, can I be intentional of the way I use it? Right, right. I, I think the purpose of cutting it at 50% is, you know, um, for me personally, uh, there, there are certain ways in, in which I'd like to engage in Instagram for my own personal brand and purposes that I, I could see that as being helpful. So I think the idea of cutting it completely isn't what's, isn't what's best for me. And I know a lot of other people, their livelihood is, is largely dependent on right their social media and, and, their, and the platform they've created for themselves. And they put a lot of work and time into doing that. Um, so I think it's really important to go into this with a strategy. And I think you, you know, you brought up a great point of turning off your phone and when you go to sleep and getting an analog alarm. Is it one of those like, you know, you stayed in like a cheap motel and one of those, <laughs> you know. It looks pretty cool, man. It's like wooden. Okay, cool. It's nice. All right. Yeah. So, you know, one, one could be having an alarm and the other could be, you know, for me, sometimes I put my phone on airplane mode and that's, you know, it removes, it, it doesn't have quite the same barriers that it does when you turn it off, mm -hmm. but at least that's one more step you have to consciously overcome to, to use it. Um, I think starting the day is a really, that's a really powerful intention. And then having a strategy for when you get the impulse, when you bump up against the resistance or you get the impulse to use your phone and having a behavior that you could replace with going on social media and scrolling. Yeah. The if then statement, when, so or the win, I don't know, the win I get this feeling of going on social media, then I do blank. Go for a walk. Yeah. It's going to be very easy. It's going to be like something that's very easy to do. I've like, I've ended up just leaving my phone in my car when I go do work or in another room. Um, it, for me, the hardest moments are when I am, it's like the afternoon, late afternoon time. And... Work is getting kind of slow. It's easy just to just jump on Instagram real quick to see what's going on. So in that situation, can you think of something, uh, you know, something you can replace that with? Ideally going for a walk. Ideally, ideally. Now, the other one would be to play guitar. These are all kind of fun things that do still all require some work and also don't immediately gratify do you think we should replace social media use with something of equal gratification? You know, that's what I was thinking of is what could we do for ourselves that gives us a similar, uh, we, we receive that dopamine in some way. Right. And one thing that I thought of is, is part of why we go on there and part of what it provides is this idea of connection, which I think in my opinion is somewhat, it's like a lot of false connection. Right. Um, but maybe instead, you know, if you feel that impulse to go on and see what other people are doing, maybe you call someone, right? Maybe you have a conversation on the phone or you send a text and, and you start to engage in a conversation with someone within your network and you build up the relationships you currently have. Hmm. Um, because a lot of times I think that's, you know, we may go there because we're feeling, uh, we're feeling lonely. We spent the entire day working. I know for, you know, there's a lot of people in, either in the gig economy or have to work on their own. So being able to have those relationships and and feed off one another could be could be a potential solution. Yeah, I like that as a way to fulfill a need and seeing it as now not like 
distraction or not distraction, it's, okay, what's my need? What do I need right now? What part of me is in need right now? My social part. Let me call a friend up. Right. And on the other side, I also want to prompt the idea, maybe the need is to be to be in solita- solitary, to be in peace and silence, and to get out of technology. And that's where the walk would come in, by yourself, no phone, nothing. Cal Newport, author of Digital Minimalism, has a specific chapter that talks about we are wired for connection, but we're not wired to be connected all the time. And I know for me, when I go on a walk, man, two seconds in, I'm ready to go on my phone. So it's it's hard to put myself into a state where it's, okay, I'm going to let go of the world for a second and just be. So balancing both those things out. I think you hit it right on the head with asking that question. What do I need right now? It could be as simple as that. Asking, just pausing and taking a moment to ask yourself, mm. what do I need? Because if you didn't need it, if you didn't feel a certain need, there would no, be no need to do anything. Because Instagram, going on Instagram is taking an action. So if you were, if you didn't feel a need, or and maybe you don't, maybe it's just something to do. But then there's that feeling, maybe the need is I need to do something because I feel bored. Questions are powerful. Yeah. You know, we could ask questions to ourselves and just sit and then the brain works and it answers. Contemplation. And we can even ask, what do I want as the first question? And then the next question is, what do I need? Because like if I'm sitting and doing work, it's like, what do I want? I want to go do something fun. But like, what do I actually need? What's behind that want that I'm using that want to, to try to band-aid over something? Maybe it is that get I, I call it my soul man. Maybe it is to get my soul man energized in a certain way. So playing guitar for me, I'm, I'm more of a performer with improv comedy. How can I integrate this, that funny silliness connection with people? Maybe that is my need to fill in that moment. So to, in summary, I think... Cut 50%, 50% cut in social media use. Whew, the 50% right. challenge. 50% challenge, which will require 100% effort. <laughs> and some strategies, shut your phone down at night. So when you wake up, either, you know, if you have an alarm clock, use that. Otherwise, go airplane mode if you need to use your phone for an alarm. And then when you feel that impulse, ask yourself, what do I want? And then what do I need? That's enough to be entertained for hours. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just to ask questions. Yeah. I, I couldn't stress getting the alarm. It's ten dollars. You won't hesitate with guac at Chipotle. You'll think tw- you'll think many times about buying a, a ninety-nine cents app. Ten dollar clock on Amazon. Wonders. I'm gonna do it. That's that's my purchase as soon as we're done here. So we're headed over with time soon, it looks like. Yeah. Do we want to go over the flow and the challenge of the week? Yeah. Let's do it. You want – let's lead off with what's your flow for the week? (laughs) My flow. My flow for the week is to do one new thing a day. has been kind of my jam. uh, I've since moved to a new city right now, and I'm exploring a new city for the first time, and it's – my my mantra is, all right, what is one new thing I can do today? It's like one day it was like, I'm going to go to the beach right now because I live fairly close to the beach right now. I should capitalize. I just went to the beach and did a workout. Another day it's, I'm going to go to a new cafe. Another day it's, I'm going to play guitar at this location. So it's just, for me, I've been really into just experimenting with adding one new thing to today. And that could be kind of like a weird win is I, did, I tried something out today to get out of the house, so to speak. Have you noticed how that, you know, when you do when you do that one thing, that one new thing, how has that changed the rest of your day? Specifically, you're lying in bed at night, you know, you did your one new thing, you set that intention or goal, what does that feel like? You can sleep very easy. You know, I don't have any judgment towards how I spent my day. It's a, it's a similar feeling to how I felt when I would work out first thing in the morning when I had a gym to go to because right now I don't have a gym. So when I went to the gym first thing in the morning, the rest of the day, it's okay, well, I, I went to the gym hard today. That's all. I, everything else is smooth sailing. 
I think a big impact the one new thing does for me is also my whole day I'm thinking about, okay, when four o'clock comes or when three o'clock comes or when six o'clock comes, I have this thing I'm going to do. Cool. Mm. Can't wait. I'm excited. A little, a little bit of excitement. So it gives you something to look forward to as you're moving through your day. You, you have you have a – it's not even a finish line, but you just have a marker where you get to do something. Marker. Yeah. For sure. Like we have volleyball today. Right. It's a marker. It's a marker. I'm excited. It's been on my cal- it's on my calendar. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I sent the Google invite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your flow of the week? Um I'd say my flow of the week has been um you know, it's been a little cons- inconsistent day to day and I'm I'm still riding the wave so to speak of of surfing over the weekend. So, um I spent two days surfing and uh, I've, I've surfed off and on for a year or so, a year or two. Um, but it's the most I'd actually ever surfed in one sitting, so going out multiple times. And um, being out for that duration on the ocean and the fatigue of paddling, then the satisfaction of of connecting with the ocean and the wave in that moment to be able to collaborate in riding mm-hmm. it. Uh, was incredibly satisfying, and I'm still um, – I've been inspired to go back, so I'm going to go this weekend. Uh, but what, I, what I'm interested in, you know, moving forward for next week is finding finding little waves like that to ride. And I think hearing you doing new things like that um, is finding little little experience, especially living in the same place, right? Like wh- how can you find novelty in a small – college town when it's summertime so that seems like a you know moving into the challenge that seems like a good challenge for this next week is to look so that i can i can have that uh those you know feelings of satisfaction and fulfillment that you're mentioning so finding in the college town where can i find a little adventure yeah a little journey uh yeah i've been thinking about uh dance i've been thinking about doing salsa Hmm. um i'm not necessarily known for my dancing abilities (laughs) um but it's something that uh, because of that, there's, you know, there's a challenge involved in that. And um, so, you know, maybe that'll be it. Maybe I'll come back with with uh, some salsa. I think that speaks okay. volume that there is something within you that wants to do salsa. Yeah. Or whatever the idea of that represents to you. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for all of us to acknowledge when we have a desire for something like that. Like that moment of being like in tune with your body, pretty powerful. To notice, whoa, I kind of want to do that thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if it's the outfit or uh, I think it's, you know, it, it's sexy. But I think it also has – it's some. I think that kind of movement, I think it's the movement that my body wants to do, right? It wants to move. It wants to be loose. A lot of hip movement and mobility. So like a very physical level. Um, I think that's kind of what my body's calling for. So – yeah, catch me on the dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> dance floor of the ways. Yeah, Back yeah. to the dance floor. Yeah. My challenge of this last week, I would say, is um, I have a lot of energy for this new place. And it's it's easy to get sidetracked and have that energy in a place that I don't want to, like, to express it, I guess you can say. Because there's so much excitement, it can almost be tiring. I am I I remember this this idea of like preparing for a championship game and I'm so excited all day for it that when the game comes I'm like exhausted from just trying from getting stoked all day and jumping up. And so it's kind of um, seeking the peace and stillness with this energy that I have, making sure I also incorporate that in this peak that I'm experiencing right now. Because the, the trough will come. Right. So how are you, you know, what do you in terms of looking at how to address that, what are you thinking? Probably to incorporate some low-key exercise movement. Being an exercise uh, fanatic, it's easy to make every activity as hard as possible. Like I love moving I love organized structure movement and learning new ways to move the body and exercise fads to also couple that with like going on a walk next to the beach or like just stretching and not to do stretching within 10 minutes, but to stretch without keeping track of time. You know what you may, 
you maybe look at some Tai Chi. Some Tai Chi. Um, there's a guy, Lee Holden, who uh, he has some great videos you can download online. Um, he was a former former soccer player, Division One soccer player, got hurt and used Tai Chi, met an incredible teacher and used Tai Chi to help him recover physically and uh, has become a really, really good teacher and really breaks it down in a simple way. Like Qigong and Tai Chi does awesome stuff with that. But it, it may be that kind of, that blend you're looking for where you're, you know, slow, methodical movement, but it's so good for the body. Would you say to do that first thing in the morning? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, in uh, I spent six weeks in China and I'd go out in early morning walks and the parks would be filled with people just practicing Tai Chi wow. like groups. And, you know, people are well into their 80s, but they're moving with such fluidity and grace. And it, it was amazing to see. And it's it's apparent. I mean, there's so many factors, right? But it's apparent that this, the fact that they're choosing to do this at their age, that there's value in it. Probably both, not just for their physical well-being, but also their mental well-being. To be able to move and find that, you know, find that flow in different at different mm. speeds. I'm going to try that out. Yeah. I'm going to try that out. By the beach, man. I've been searching for a new morning routine now that I'm in a whole new place. And maybe to fill that gap is try out some morning qigong. Yeah, dude. Get the energy grounded. Bring it all back. Bring it all back to the ground. Well, I think that's, uh, that's it for today. Thank you all for tuning in. Had a lovely time. Lovely, lovely time. time. Lovely time. It's great to have Jason back in Claremont. And uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks again to Studio B3, CGU. And this has been About Being Alive.